Hello everyone, welcome to the craziest Christmas Eve we've ever experienced. Um, I, I wish so badly we could be together for what is, for many of us, certainly for me, um, our favorite service of the year, but such is the nature of 2020. This evening what I want to do is what I did with my Advent series. Instead of pretending like everything's normal, I want us to actually make use of the abnormality. It shouldn't be this way. We should be together. We should be in this room. This room should be packed full of happy, joyful, singing people. I shouldn't be looking at a camera. I should be looking at the faces of my favorite people in the world, my church family. But... As I said during Advent, perhaps this is the most honest Christmas Eve we've ever experienced. As Christians, we believe the birth of Jesus Christ is the most glorious moment in history. And what, what, yet when you actually consider the actual event, there's really nothing glorious about it. It feels less like a packed sanctuary and more like where we find ourselves this evening. And this is what I want to briefly explore together. One of the frustrating quirks about my family, the Cunningham family, is our uncanny ability to lose library books. Um, it is, it's insane how good we are at it. And so um, on multiple occasions, we have had to just give up and admit the thing is lost um, and pay not the late fee, but the replacement fee for the book. Well, several years ago, my son checked out Claude the Christmas Dog, a Christmas classic. And yes, poor Claude the Christmas Dog did go the way of the Cunningham household, and we lost it and had to pay the replacement fee. So I called the, the library and told them, unfortunately, we've lost Claude the Christmas Dog, so what do we owe you? The librarian uh, looked it up, and as it turned out, uh, this particular copy of Claude the Christmas Dog was a first edition hardback copy worth $1,200. True story. I couldn't believe it. Claude the Christmas Dog is worth $1,200. Now I can assure you that despite our uh, proclivity to lose books, had we known that Claude the Christmas Dog was so valuable, that would have been a book we would not have lost. But how could we? We had no idea. It's a children's book. On the surface, there's nothing special about it. Therefore, ignorant of its enormous value, we treated it as just another ordinary book, and we lost it. I wonder if that is how we are tempted to treat the birth of Jesus. I wonder if we have become so accustomed to the story that there's really nothing special about it anymore. And what's interesting is when you actually look at the story itself, there isn't anything special about it. Have you ever considered how ridiculously unimpressive is the birth of Jesus Christ? What's so special about a poor, obscure, first century baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger? The answer on the surface is nothing. It's a baby. There's been billions and billions of them born. In fact, as far as birth stories go, this one is about as unimpressive as they come. And yet, there is immeasurable value hidden within this scene. 
In fact, it is precisely the unimpressiveness of this moment that makes it so impressive. The story that we celebrate this evening is exceedingly ordinary, but there is glory in the ordinary. God's great glory is that God took on the ordinary. As you heard the Luke 2 passages read by friends, perhaps you could sense the gravitas of the approaching moment. The the veil of heaven is lifted and Shekinah glory fills the sky and an angelic being comes, appears to the shepherds and it says they are terrified. And, And the angel of the Lord says, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And then suddenly a literally a a heavenly choir comes on to the scene to declare glory to God. God in the highest. Now, all of this sounds about what you would expect if God were to show up, right? Well, the shepherds, not surprisingly, say, we've got to see this. We've got to go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they go, and they do see for themselves. And then it says, they returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen. Now, if you were unfamiliar with the, with the story, what do you think it was that they encountered? The sky is filled with glory, testifying to the arrival of the glory of God in highest. The shepherds say, we've got to see this. They go, and they do see for themselves. And then on their return, they are glorifying and praising God for what they had seen. My goodness, what did they see? Was it like Isaiah? Did they get a glimpse into the throne room of the holy God? Was it like Moses where the presence of God in a, in a burning fire and holy ground came to them? Did they get a glimpse into the Holy of Holies that only the high priest was allowed to see? What did they see? Verse 16, they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. An obscure couple, a baby in a feeding trough. Behold the fullness of the glory of God. And when I say the fullness, I mean that quite literally. The prophet Isaiah said of this moment, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Hebrews 1, the incarnate Jesus, is described as the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. Colossians 1 speaks of Jesus this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the fullness of God's glory. The consistent message of Scripture is that when you look upon the incarnate Son of God, you look upon the fullest manifestation of the glory of God. Christmas, rightly understood, is not God veiling His glory. Christmas is God unveiling His glory for all the world to see. And what we see is a redefinition of glory, a redefined glory, what I'm calling the glory of the ordinary. Now listen, don't be mistaken. He is the holy, omnipotent, sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. He is. But that's precisely the point. We know He shouldn't be there, and so we marvel that He is there. What is God doing in a manger? Why would God subject Himself to this? And it is on the other side of that question where His glory is revealed. 
The incarnation becomes glorious when we realize the motivation behind it. And the motivation, dear sinner, is you. The reason God is in a manger is because God will go to any lengths to have you. Because what we see as ordinary, what our world discards as ordinary, what is so easily treated as nothing special, namely me and you and everyone, God sees it as glorious. God becoming an ordinary man means that He does not view mankind as ordinary He views us as so valuable that He would do whatever it takes to pursue us, to find us, to have us as His own. What do you think happened in our house when we found out Claude the Christmas dog was worth $1,200? I'll tell you what happened. Kids, you are not eating, sleeping, or breathing until you find that book. We tore our house apart to find that book. And yes, we did end up finding it because nothing was going to stand in the way of us finding that book. And friends, this is what God is doing in Christmas. He is tearing heaven and earth apart to seek after you because you are that valuable to Him. And I do mean you. What I want us to do this evening is personalize Christmas Eve. Wherever you find yourself, this ordinary glory has a word for you. So, for example, if you're hurting this evening, physical, emotional, circumstantial, whatever it may be, you're hurting as you watch this. Do you know what ordinary glory says to you in your suffering? God is not distant, disconnected, uninterested, indifferent to your suffering He is not a God of transcendent glory that doesn't care about your pain. Quite the opposite is true. He is a God familiar with suffering and grief. He is the God who can say to you, I know how it feels. I know what it's like. He is the God who himself got involved, who entered into the misery of our existence, not just to relate to it, but to undo it. He bears the pain of the world so that He might heal the pain of this world. And because of this, we can say, you can say to any and all suffering, you are just a momentary affliction that will give way to eternal glory. So bring your pain to this ordinary glory and let it console you this evening. To the lonely watching. For some, Christmas is the loneliest time of the year especially this year. You may be watching this all alone as, we, as I speak. Do you know what ordinary glory lets me say to you? God loves you. He really does. Not in a detached, uninvolved, abstract way. No, God is clearly into you. He notices you. He wants you. He pursues you. There is nothing He would not do, even the unthinkable incarnation There is nothing He would not do to have you as His own. So bring your lonely hearts to this ordinary glory and let it comfort you. To the indifferent here this evening, those who perhaps are watching merely out of cultural habit, 
you know, it's Christmas and Americans got to do the church thing on Christmas. Or, or maybe a family member or a friend sent you the link and invited you to watch and, you're, and so you're watching out of politeness. And perhaps you're saying to yourself, yeah, 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 Jesus Christmas, I get it. Do you know what ordinary glory allows me to say to you this evening? You actually don't get it. You have actually stumbled upon something utterly unique and captivating. Not a conventional religion of a God who exists detached from creation, demanding that you obey or else He's going to get you. No, this is the epic drama of a God who enters into the world of His own creation to save the world that belongs to Him. Not a God who says, be really religious. A God who comes for us in unthinkable ways to rescue our relationship with Him. You this evening are being told the greatest story of all time, and it happens to be true. So you bring your indifference to this ordinary glory and let it capture you. To the proud, watching in, strong, self-righteous, self-reliant, the ones who have never met a problem they can't overcome, and Christianity is just the religious part of your impressive resume. Do you know what ordinary glory lets me say to you this evening? You're actually not that impressive. You may have others fooled. You may even have yourself fooled, but you don't have God fooled. God sees it. And what He sees is so bad, so helpless, so desperate, dare I say so pathetic, that God had to go to this ridiculously extreme measure. God had to become a baby for you. That's not flattering. That's humbling. So you bring your pride to this ordinary glory and let it humble you. Ah, but to the despairing watching in, those who feel they are beyond hope of redemption. All you do is mess things up. In fact, you promised yourself this year would be different. And here we are, another year over, and the failures have only compounded and the despair has only deepened. Do you know what this ordinary glory lets me say to you? Indeed, you are a mess, but clearly you are a mess worth redeeming. So much so that God is willing, willing Himself to enter into the mess to deliver you out of the mess. And do you really think He would go to such extremes and fail? He will not. He can and He will, as messy as you may be, He can and He will redeem that which you think and that's what you're telling yourself is irredeemable. So bring your despair to this ordinary glory and let it exalt you. But more than anything, to all of us watching in, to all sinners watching in, and yes, there is no denying our many transgressions, and I'm not here to convince you otherwise. It's true of me. It's true of you. But do you know what ordinary glory lets me say to every single sin-sick soul this evening? God has made a way. Oh, sinner, God has found a way to forgive. If He followed the ways of conventional glory, where He's up here, we're down there, we're down here, and, and we're going to have to prove ourselves worthy of His glory, there is no hope. 
But that's not our God. Our God is in a manger. Our God's crown is made of thorns. Our God's coronation is His crucifixion. So you bring your sins. You bring your guilt. You bring your shame. You bring your condemnation. Bring it all to this ordinary glory and be rid of it forevermore. My, how glorious is our God. That His highest estate is His lowest estate. That His majesty is His meekness. Indeed, that His glory is His humility. Let me thank Him for it. Jesus, we praise You. Yes, this is not how we want it to be. We want to be together. We want to be surrounded by our family and friends, our church family. But this is where You have us. And so on this peculiar, strange Christmas Eve and Christmas, I pray that You would speak to us in unique ways. I pray that we would see Your humility, that the God of heaven and earth was born and placed in a manger, and that You never escaped that humiliation. It was the theme of Your life unto the cross, that we would see glory in that. And wherever we find ourselves, and whatever our need is from You, Holy Spirit, who works beyond time and space and can speak to all who are watching in where, whenever and wherever they're watching, I pray that You would take that ordinary glory and speak to us in powerful ways. We love You, Jesus. We love You. You didn't have to come, but You came. And so it is enough to praise You and thank You. And we do that now. In Jesus' name, amen.